Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hi and welcome to Equine Voices. My name is Ronnie and tonight's interview is with Tracy Cole. So I'll shortly introduce her and she can tell you all about her work. She does NLP and hypnosis. She's a coach as well. But rather than me sit here telling you what she does, I'm going to introduce the lovely lady herself and she can tell you all about her work, her horses and her life. Hi, Hi. Tracy. Would you like to explain to everybody that, that don't know what NLP is, what you do, and then go back in time and just explain how you got to, to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So. I work mainly with NLP, like you said, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is a bit of a mouthful. Basically, it, it's a branch of psychology, if you like. The people who established NLP cherry-picked a lot of psychology and behavioral sciences and hypnosis, and they brought together the bits that they thought would benefit people and it wouldn't be an academic thing as such. It would be something very accessible to anyone that wanted to uh, learn about the mind and help the mind to work for them so that you don't feel that your mind is in charge, but you're in charge of your own mind. Um, because very often we do think that we're at the mercy of our thoughts or our emotions. And it's actually the opposite way around. We, we do control our thoughts and emotions ourselves, even though it might not appear to be that way. But NLP helps you and it trains you to see that you can do that. You can sort of override your natural programming. So I got into it very much from an equestrian standpoint because I'd been competing very low level stuff and and that was probably part of my problem in a way that low level competitor but getting so nervous it was ridiculous absolutely so nervous I would be with my friend who is a professional rider riding for owners and she'd be cool as a cucumber she'd be driving the lorry so she had that to think about I'm just the passenger and I'm melting away into a ball of nerves and it made no logical sense to me. Why was I the one that was so nervous about riding? I was okay at home, fine at home or on lessons. I think it was the fear of making a complete fool of myself. That was it, you know, which I know a lot of people have. But if you're an amateur, or you're a recreational rider, then it doesn't make any sense to put that amount of pressure on you because you get that pressure from work and other parts of your life. You don't need it in your riding. So I remember the person I was talking about, the professional rider, Aileen, saying to me, well, she said, I feel the same as you, but I call it excitement and you call it nerves. And I never quite believed her. I do now. I do now. But I thought they're miles apart. <laughs> excitement and nervousness completely different breeds of animals, no relation whatsoever. I could never understand, how on earth can you be excited about this thing where you're, you're performing in front of people and so many things can go wrong with you and the horse? But I was determined to crack it. I was determined to crack my nerves. And I started Googling 
And I started Googling rider nerves and confident rider. And when you do that, lots of sites pop up, things about breathing exercise, which, which I could do in my own lounge. I was jumping meter 50 in my lounge. But when it came to actually go out and do it, it just completely unraveled and I forgot everything. And then it became a pressure. Well, I'm not breathing properly. I need to breathe as well of everything else. So I kept Googling and trying to do some research on it. And I kept coming up with this NLP thing that I'd never, ever heard of. And the name, I have to say, the name put me off a little bit, neuro-linguistic programming. It kind of sounds a bit like a computer. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? It just doesn't sound like me. It doesn't sound like something that's nice, easy, fun thing to do that I'll just be able to somehow retrain my brain. It it just sounds a bit a bit cold, really. It does sound computerish. So I kept ignoring all of these sites that said NLP because I thought I just I don't know what it is, but I don't want to do it. And then I read Pippa Funnel's autobiography and anyone that's ever read it will know that she talks a lot about overcoming her nerves and she talks about having NLP sessions. And so, oh, wow, gosh, this thing that I've been avoiding, this is apparently what I should be doing. So I started to look into it and I still was very skeptical about it because it seemed to promise the world and I was thinking I don't think it's going to do that for me it might just take a bit of the edge off I found a lady called Christine Dawson who works in Manchester and runs trainings and she happened to be an equestrian herself although she wasn't running trainings for all equestrians at the time and I was chatting to her about these nerves and and she said, you know, come and do a training, come and do a practitioner training. And you'll be able to see that there's lots and lots of different techniques. So if one thing doesn't work, you can do something else. They're dead quick, they're dead easy. And you'll feel far, far different after the course. You'll feel so much more different from where you are now. And you will eventually go out and, and be fine. And I thought, yes, I'm sure I will. <laughs> and so I thought, but I thought if it could just take the edge off even, just a little bit, I, I could accept a certain level of butterflies type of thing. And that's what I thought would be my ultimate aim. And I went and did the training and... When you do the training, you often go off into twos and, and one person pretends to be the practitioner and one person pretends to be the client, but you don't role play as such. You think of a real issue or challenge that you've actually got and the person who's being the practitioner has a go and runs through it with you. And so I did all my riding things and I kept feeling at the end of the day that something really shifted. But the proof's in the pudding, obviously, what happens when you get on the horse. And I was really kind of testing this out because I kept thinking, but it can't be that simple. I can't go on a training. It was about five or six days long. I can't just do that and then go out and ride and feel differently 
even just a little bit less nervous, never mind full confidence. But I did. And me as the ultimate skeptic was saying to myself, well, it's because I did the training this week or I did the training today. It sort of like carried me through. You get these kind of buzzes, don't you, when you do a training that you've really enjoyed and you're almost evangelical about it. And I was a bit like that. And I kept thinking, but yeah, when normality hits and I'm back at work and I've got my normal day-to-day running, I thought any minute now, it's just going to flip. I'm going to lose this confidence. You know, it's not going to be something that's permanent. But I really didn't. I mean, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't try and get your fears and nerves back. But I really did try. I really kind of tested it out. And it was during the training that I thought, do you know what? If this does work on somebody like me, I, I, I thought I had a really, really stubborn mind. If it really works on me, it might be something that I could do maybe as a sideline. I could do evenings and weekends. I wasn't really thinking about a full business, just something interesting. So that's what I did initially. I did weekends and the odd evening and I helped riders very much around where I, I lived. I did the whole leaflets in the tax shops and the equestrian centers. Because really, I didn't think about doing much on social media and I didn't think about things like Skype or anything digital. So it was very much people who were where I live in North Staffordshire. And and it started to gain a bit of interest. And I gave a few workshops and things like that. And I thought, I really love this. I I really like working with the equestrians. I really get what they feel when they say they're nervous, whatever reason it is, whether it's cantering or hacking or what, whatever. It could be really high level stuff. I really understand. And I understand that absolute block that you have when you are nervous. And I understand that frustration because you want to kick yourself because you know you can do better. It's like the shutters come down and the nerves start. So eventually, I decided, well, I think I'll go part-time in my job and do this part-time. And then it expanded again and I left my job and now I do this full-time. So it's been, a, it's been a journey over several years, but I really do love it. I love what I do now. You have such a nice, calm, I mean, your whole demeanour when I'm looking at you as you're speaking. And I've spoken to you and we've had little chats in the past online and um, you always have this nice demeanor about you and a nice calming way about you and how you speak is very calming which is lovely and I'm sure that's a bonus when you're doing your work but I didn't realize that you went straight into practitioner rather than just having some sessions it was part of the practitioner's course so that's a big achievement a really big achievement it is and it isn't because it's pure ignorance that was I didn't know that there were people who did NLP coaching sessions and when I rang Christine up in Manchester I, I, I had no idea that I could have gone for coaching but this course sounded really good and I thought well why not with no idea about what I was going to do with the knowledge apart from apply it to myself that was all I really wanted. So how long was the actual course was it a weekly thing how long was it? So 
yeah, it's not run exactly the same anymore. The NLP sort of changed its training system, but I think it was about five or six days mm. that we did all in one go, all in one week. But yeah, and that was good because you, you sort of gained momentum as you went through it because mm. every day you, you'd learn something and then everyone was going home and testing it out on people at home. <laughs> so then in the morning, everybody's coming back saying, I did this with my husband and I did this with my son. And it was, it was really nice. It was really nice to see that we were all very excited about what we were doing. I like the way you describe it. Evangelical. That's such a good way of, of explaining because when something happens and you get something or you change, it's so exciting and you want to tell the whole world. And you can explain how it is, but they don't always appreciate it or experience it from your point of view because it's your point of view and it's how it makes a difference to you. So for people that ride horses, I know it's not just about horses, it's used for lots of things. Nerves come in into it big time. And like you said, it's not always common sense. If somebody's had a fall or something's happened and then they've got that on top of it then yeah but sometimes it comes from no explanation I mean most horse people have a fall at some point and they get back on but it can be to do with other things my experience of NLP and some other uh, modules that a friend of mine used she used me as a guinea pig and I had a block just getting on my horse and my legs would be like jelly all the energy would just drain and it was just horrible and doesn't matter what I did I, I could not move this block and I had people come out to help me get on my horse which was great and I got on her because I needed to get a saddle so I had to get on her but I knew that this block was still there and I've mentioned this in in previous podcasts so I'm just going to skim over the the story but Basically, I, I knew it wasn't to do with horses. It was something stopping me moving forward, but also through past experiences and to do with protection and my mom and things like that. And so we got past this block and I remember going out to the field thinking I should be feeling nervous. And in my head, I was thinking, I am nervous, but my legs are okay. When I got on, on toots, it's like... I've done it. I've done it. And it was just sitting on her. But it was it was funny because I thought that I should not be feeling this way because it's been there for so long and it's not come back. So that that's dealt with. So it doesn't mean other things won't be present if I don't deal with things. Mm-hmm. But that part, and it wasn't to do with horse riding, it was to do with something else, that block moved, which actually helped me move forward in my personal life. So for me, the block was related to, I thought it was related to horses. Deep down, I knew it wasn't, but it, it helped me move in lots of areas of my life, which is fascinating. And I find that fascinating, how your mind works. Like I have conversations with myself and if I can feel anxiety or if I can feel something, an old pattern coming up, I'll say, okay, what's that telling me? What What is it? And like the other day, I'd ha- I was absolutely fine and had a really good few days and was out in the field and I was doing some poo picking. It was dark. I got my head torch on and Toots came to have a tea and then she walked off. And because of her herd moving away, she's been a little bit distant and she walked off. And I goes, bye Toots. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I could feel this lump coming over my throat and my stomach. And I thought, whoa, it, it, something's coming up. And I literally just bent over the wheelbarrow 
And I was trying to stop this lump because I knew it, it needed to come out. And uh, anyway, it did. And I started crying and I was thinking, okay, what's that? What is she reflecting in me? What was she showing me? She's been a horse and she's doing what she needs to do for whatever reason. But it still has an impact and a reflection and something for you to look at within yourself. And the first word that came up was abandoned. Uh, and, and that sounds very, oh my goodness, but we've all had times in our life when something's happened and we feel lost, abandoned or whatever. And it was the word abandon. And I thought rejection. And I thought, I know what that is. And as soon as I acknowledged, I know what that is, that lump went in my throat. And I thought, okay. And I felt fine. But obviously when you let a lid off something, that's good. But other things start to come up. And as I walked up the field, there was emotions coming up. It was okay because I knew it needed to come up wherever this was. And then the next day I was fine. But I, I, when you're in that moment, those few seconds, it's as raw and as real and as painful as you remember. But you know, it's not real. It's not now and it's not happening. What it is, is residue. And that's how I explain it to myself that you're working with and this is what it's meant to do because when we hold things in and we bury things that's when you get problems later on which is the the fear of getting on toots it manifested into that from other mm. stuff yeah that's exactly my thinking as well that if you don't deal with those things there and then if you're not aware of how to deal with those feelings if you just package it away and try and say, oh, I'll put that to the back of my mind, even if it's very visceral and you think, oh, I'm just ignore it. I'll think of something else. Like you say, it doesn't go away and it, it, it will continue to come out in whatever way it wants to do, whatever way is going to grab your attention most. And I think for the equestrians, a lot of the time, exactly what you said, it comes out in your riding, but the root of it isn't riding or horses at all. It's, it's often completely different. And, and I find that with, with my clients as well. This is a very important part of an equestrian's life and the horses are everything. And very often the horses are where you go for your leisure time, for your relaxation, for your therapy. But that's almost like, I mean, I'm sure you, you recognize these in your own clients. That's where it comes out. That's where the, the negative emotion, the fear, the anger, the frustration, whatever it is, that's where it tends to manifest. And so then people contact me saying, well, you know, I've got this fear now of cantering or jumping or whatever it is. But sometimes it really is that, that and sometimes it, it is completely disconnected and it's about finding out what that root cause really is and exactly what you do I would help the client to try and find out what the mind is trying to tell them that could be a piece of advice that the, was out of their awareness that they missed maybe when the original event happened or a life lesson, it could be as profound as that. And once they get that thing, just like you said, then the emotion goes and it, it disappears. And very often then that's when they can handle their riding. 
So although we, we do different modalities, there's a lot of crossover, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. And like you said, because you've experienced it from the other side, you have that affinity with your clients. So you can come at it with that understanding and knowledge and say to them, I know how you feel and, and I know how it can affect you big time. And sometimes there's no explanation that you can think of, but there's always a way of getting to it or, or trying to sort something. Yeah, I find it fascinating. I, I really do. So why don't you give us an example? So what happens if somebody's watching this or listen to the podcast and they're thinking, okay, I could do with some help. What's What should they be looking for? So if they don't know anybody in their area, what sort of thing do you, do you advise them to look for? Okay. So it depends on the person wants to see somebody face-to-face or they don't mind doing a Zoom session because most NLP practitioners, master practitioners will do Zoom sessions now just because lockdown made us all go onto Zoom. So everybody's on Zoom at the moment. But if you were looking for a practitioner or master practitioner, I would look for somebody who is an equestrian or has been an equestrian and really understands equestrianism. Makes such a difference. If you go to a practitioner, master practitioner who doesn't get horses, then you spend a lot of time explaining and you don't want your session to be lots of explaining. So I would definitely go with somebody that understands horses and riders because otherwise I I know people who've been to practitioners who don't know about horses, they might know about other sports, but they're sort of like coming at it, well, why do you persist in riding if it's making you feel bad? I mean, it's a logical question, isn't it? You know, if you feel so bad and it's not your profession, it's not something that you're using to pay the bills. It's the opposite, isn't it? It's it's creating more bills and it's making you feel bad. Why bother? (laughs) So I think an equestrian person is, is the one to look for. I would look for someone with an accredited certification. So go on their website and have a little look around or contact them um, and just say, you know, where's your qualification from? Because unfortunately, the industry isn't regulated in any way. It's all self-regulated. So anybody could call themselves an NLP practitioner, whether they've done a training or not. Anyone can call themselves a mindset coach, whether they've got something to back that up or they've got personal experience. So I would really make sure that the person that you're looking at has got a qualification that comes from an accredited board of NLP or board of hypnosis or whatever it is. And then what what I would do is most practitioners have some kind of discovery call or strategy call, whatever they call it. And it's usually free and it's 15 or 20 minutes. And I would book one of those calls in with the view that you're not necessarily going to buy from this person, but you're going to find out if you're a good fit and you, and you just feel that this person knows what they're talking about. They can outline for you a bit of a strategy for you that's very personalized. You don't feel like you're, you're just going through the same old motions that every client gets and that you get a good feeling about this person, that you're at ease with them. Because a lot of clients don't really know what NLP is or they don't know what hypnosis is. So they've booked on because 
you know, for me, I'm their last chance saloon, <laughs> you know, they're, they've tried everything else. And so they haven't necessarily done a lot of research into what goes on in an NLP session or a hypnosis session. They're just like, wave that magic wand, please. <laughs> so they can be quite nervous. So I would say to people, if, if you don't want to do the research, you, you're stuck for time or you, you feel like, well, I, you know, a friend of mine had this wonderful NLP session. I just want some of that. Make sure you have some kind of connection with that person when you're on the call. You, you feel as though that person's really got your back and they're, they're really interested in you and they really want to help you. But more than that, they can tell you the steps they're going to take to help you and it, it makes sense for you. It doesn't sound too woolly or that they plucked it out of thin air or it's very generic. Well, we do this, this, this and this for everybody. So it's more personalised. Because it can be quite scary because obviously if you're going to talk to somebody and it's to do with things that are in your mind or your, you know, your deepest fears or things that you maybe don't want to talk about to a stranger, but you want some help. It's quite a big step to take to talk to somebody. I'm at the stage where I've got good friends and one of them happens to do an LP and, quite a, few, and a few other things. So and I was fine talking about anything. You know, nothing was off the table. It was fine because I knew if it was meant to come up, it would come up and things that don't need to come up or, or don't need to be delved into on that level, they wouldn't be. My being, soul, whatever, knew what I needed to do. And and it was quite funny because sometimes she'd start to ask questions and I could feel my body getting uncomfortable. And so I'd say, I know the, the answer to that now because it's shifting, it's not happy. So you're getting to a spot where we need to be working. So it was lovely because we could be open with each other. But I knew her. I knew my friend Amanda. But for somebody that doesn't know, and it and it's a little bit similar when I go see a client. The first thing I say to them is I put them at ease, and I'll say I don't read minds. I don't know your darkest secrets. You know, it's not about that. I just get enough information to help you or your horse, and to get you to see that or to know we're going in the right direction. That's all I get. I don't need to have the whole story or the depth of it, you know, if that's what happens. So when somebody is that raw, there is that worry that what if I say something and I embarrass myself or I'm ashamed of it. It's, it's really about, like you said, having that nice connection with somebody because that person you're going to trust. Now, I know everything's confidential, but it doesn't mean to say that that person might be ashamed or scared or embarrassed to say something. And they shouldn't do, obviously, because we've all done things and all things happen in life. But it is that step, isn't it? And your head sometimes gets in the way, which is ironic because that's what you're trying to sort <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, th and that's exactly why I, I would say book a, a strategy call or discovery, whatever the person calls it, the free complimentary call, and you'll get a good feel for that person and whether you will be able to share things and whether you do feel at ease. Because as you say, it, it's not that it, it's a bad thing necessarily, but if you're very nervous or you're a little bit closed off because you're not sure how much to share and you're not sure 
whether you can ask questions during the session or you feel a bit silly asking about, well, why does this work and how does it work? If you've got all of those things and you're working on your mind as well, you've kind of got a bit of an uphill battle, haven't you? But if you feel at ease with the person and you, you, you almost feel like you know them, even though you don't know them, and you think, well, this is a safe space and highly confidential, as you say, but I feel like I can offload a little bit. And if something comes up or I have a question or if something isn't working or I can't do something, a lot of NLP is about visualizing things in your mind. Well, if you're a visual person, that is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, I'm not a visual person, but I know that visual clients, some of them say, well, it's just like seeing it in real life. Now, if I visualize something, it's kind of a bit gray blobs and it, it's rubbish. You know? <laughs> it looks nothing like the real world. So let's say you did have a client who said, I can't vi visualize that. I can't see it. Then they need to be able to say that. I, I, I've got no picture. I can't see very much and it's gray and it's blurry. And depending on what the practitioner is doing, that might be fine. That might be the, the level that you need. But if you, they're doing something that is highly visual, it's nice to be able to say, I just cannot do that. My brain just won't let me do it. And then the practitioner can say, well, that's fine. We'll, we'll do something else that doesn't involve you having that sharp definition. But if you're, like you say, if you're feeling a little bit nervous and you're not sure if you're doing it right and, and you don't feel like you can really say, I can't do it, then the technique won't work as well. You won't get your money's worth and you may or may not get rid of your nerves or doubts or whatever you're trying to alleviate. So that connection is, is really, really super important, I think. I think in, in my line of work and in your line of work as well, isn't it? People just feel that they can just relax and they feel like they've known you for years. Within five minutes, they're like, they're off. They're okay with you. They might have had a bit of nerves before they pressed, you know, to get onto the call on Zoom or lift the phone or whatever it is. But then as soon as the session starts, they're like, oh, this is okay. I can do all of this. This is easy. Yeah. And it's about trusting themselves that they feel the connection and, and they're okay with that and trusting the person that's in, in front of them or, ch or chatting to them. And I think that's one of the main important things to need to put somebody at ease so they can open up. Because like you said, if they, so the work isn't about somebody coming to you and you fixing everything, they have to participate. And that's the same for my clients. I relay any information that comes and some of it's from the animals, some of it's what I'm picking up intuitively. It doesn't just come from one source. It comes from all different angles and it, sometimes it comes all at once and I have to decipher it. And as I'm explaining one part, I've also got to sort of just put that on hold so I can get that bit out for the next bit to flow through. And also ch you're chatting with the, with the client and you're, you're communicating with the horse and you're observing the horse, you're also picking up on, on energetically what the horse is, is saying to you. So, yeah, so there is a lot of crossovers because you'll be doing that with your clients and they'll be doing it with you even if they're not aware of it. But it's very much 
them working with themselves. And that's what my clients do. They they come to me sometimes, like you said, it's a last chance corral. Or sometimes they just want to know that the horses are okay. They're fine, that they, they don't need anything. Sometimes it's because it's that time of life and it's time to say goodbye. And that's just as precious as the other visits for different reasons. But it's not like I go along and the owners are not even aware that's going to happen. They just need to know that they're doing the right thing. So most of it is confirming or highlighting, but also empowering them to say, you did know this, you did see this because that's why you've got me out, but you wasn't quite sure why. And it's given them the tools to feel and sense and work with what they have. And hopefully, I mean, I hope on my heart that when I go away, that's what I give my clients. And peace of mind, sometimes they'll say afterwards, I'll contact them and say, especially if it's quite a big session, and there's lots of things that's passed. I'll say, are you okay? And they'll go, yeah, that's fine. And the next day it was different or they tell me what they've, they've done. So it, it is, it's lovely, but you must have a, a similar thing that they go away and think, thank goodness, I am normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, it is so similar what we do. I, I, it's lovely having a talk to you about it all because as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's that's kind of like what I do. So from my point of view with the, with the mindset, the, the theory is that we all have all the answers and it's the mindset coat, however they, they run their session, it's their job to try and unlock that. But you as the client, have the answers already you might not realize it you might not be able to tap into it but it's your own mind that solves the problem it's not the mindset coach there might be suggestions along the way but those suggestions could be rejected they could be accepted but it's very much that the the practitioner the coach is is the person who's the guide and they're sort of guiding you to the answers that you already have for yourself. Mm. So as you were saying that, I was thinking, oh yeah, that, that's exactly what I do. So, so you're empowering your clients to help themselves as well. So they go away knowing that they've got some tools to progress and change things. And if something comes up again, they can uh, maybe deal with it in a different way. But if not, and they need extra guidance, they'll they'll go back to you and just say what's happened, what's happened next. So you're also a coach. You don't just do clients. Is that right? You do coaching. Yeah. So for, for practitioners, for future practitioners, is that correct? Yeah. So I, I help clients as, as equestrians in a one-to-one session, but I train people to be coaches as well. So I run NLP trainings and hypnosis trainings. And the other one that I do is timeline therapy, which nobody's ever heard of. But it's, it's, <laughs> you've heard of it. Okay. You're the exception to that rule. Then. Um, and that's super for emotional problems, limiting beliefs, traumas, accidents. So it's a bit deeper than NLP. It's sort of a branch, a side branch of NLP. Yeah. I train people in those so they can go off and be coaches whether they want to be simple, I wouldn't say simply, but they want to be mindset coaches or they might already have a business. They might already 
run a horsey business. So very often people are riding instructors and trainers or they may be physios. So they've got some connection in their work to the horses and they want to add this on because the people that they see, either they're teaching or they're, they're doing the, a lot of physio sessions, people say, well, I, I want to be able to help these people further because I realize it's a question of mindset. I can see that they've got everything that they need. They just need a bit of help with how they're thinking. So that's really nice to train those people as well because they're very much taking NLP and applying it to, to their own business. Which is brilliant. I was just sat here thinking um, that the mind is an amazing uh, piece of machinery. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it's amazing. So some of the fear, uh, you'll have to correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, this is from my, my own viewpoint, is a survival thing. Some of it can start off as survival and it can be basic because it's there to help you. But then what happens sometimes is you get trapped in that mode and it's hard to get back out of it. I, I explain it sometimes because this is the way it crosses over to clients that when something happens, it got stuck in this position and it doesn't know how to reset itself. And actually, this is coming through now. I'm, I'm just, somebody's talking to me, actually. Thank you, whatever that is. <laughs> and um, yeah, it reset itself. So even though rationally we might know that we know what to do and we shouldn't be doing this, it, it can't do anything about it, that it, it can't because there's a gap missing, there's something missing to enable that process. You put it in your language because you're the expert. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right. Well, fear is a funny thing because fear is often thought of as a secondary response, which when you're in fear or incredibly nervous, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like necessarily that something sparks. Simply riding or getting on the horse is sparking it. But very often it's come off the back of fight or flight or freeze. And those are the, the initial reactions and responses. And those are the helpful, real survival responses. Those are going to help you. <laughs> but the fear is often secondary to those. They, it, they may feel instantaneous and simultaneous, but that's coming second. And so some people would say that, that fear, although it feels like it's horrible to feel it, and, and it, when, once you're in it, it, like you said, it is very difficult to get out of. But it doesn't serve a purpose, especially in modern day. Obviously, a certain level of being sensible, especially as we are in a hazardous sport. But as long as you have taken into consideration all the usual risks and you have tried as much as you can to circumvent everything, then there's no reason for that really, really high, high level of fear. And, and it does become a habit, like you say. It, it becomes, okay, this is how we ride. We get on and then we have the butterflies and then we freeze and then get the mind fog and all the rest of it that follows. And that becomes your pattern and your mind, unless you tell it to stop, will keep doing that because the mind is so quick at making associations, even our slow minds. I mean, we know horses make associations really lightning fast. If you've ever gone past a wheelie bin once with a horse and the horse didn't like it, it will remember that spot where the wheelie bin used to be. But our minds do the same thing. So 
our responses become lightning fast as well. And it is just a patterning that needs breaking. And if you're not sure how to break it, it will just continue. And this is where I was when I was doing those com competitions that I was trying everything, but nothing ever really stopped it because it, it was so powerful. So I needed to use something a, a bit stronger than like the breathing techniques or the, the bits and pieces of visualization that I was having a go at. I needed something that got in there and, and stopped that pattern so that the, there was a new pattern. And, and that's sort of what I was talking about when I said what I didn't realize and what a lot of people don't realize is that you're in control of all of this. It's not your mind that's in control. It's you that's in control of it. And you can override any of these patterns so long as you have the tools and you know what to do. You can get rid of these things. And you can have fun with, when I say fun. It depends where you're coming from, but you can have fun for it because once you've been shown and guided and how effective it is, you can recognize when triggers and things pop up. So you don't always have to know exactly what to do, but if you recognize things, you can see the difference that when just recognizing that emotion and that it's attached to something else, not now, it's just a trigger that's happened that's brought it forward now and you see it subside. That's an amazing, oh, crikey. So once you, you get to know that about yourself, as you said, even if you can't get past something, you know there's a way. It's not something you have to stay in. It's not a place that you have to be in forever that holds you back, that keeps you in that place that you don't want to be. But it's finding the right person and the right tools, which is somebody like yourself, Tracy. So why don't you share about your horses? Tell us about your beautiful horses. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've got two mares. I've got Lottie, who's a chestnut mare, <laughs> a typical chestnut mare. Uh, she has very strong opinions. She's a warm blood. She's 16 too. So she has the bulk to go behind those opinions as well. And I, I love Lottie to death. She's absolutely fabulous. And I bought her as a six-year-old. And when she was how old would she have been? Not not that much older, maybe nine or ten. She started to go lame. And then after rounds and rounds and rounds of different vets and physios and all kinds of people and experts trying to help me out, still really didn't get to the bottom of the lameness because it was sometimes thought to be in joints, other times thought to be in the foot and the hoof and the, oh, you name it. I think we've been through more or less every structure, soft tissue, hard tissue, you name it. Um, so I didn't really ride her very much during that period. She's just starting to show soundness that's actually got some longevity. So just after we spoke, Ronnie, I don't know what's the change. I couldn't tell you, but we seem to have got through the, the lameness. So I've just been walking her around in hand and doing a bit in school and groundwork. So I keep thinking about getting on her and then I keep looking at the weather. But I will, I will. When I get a bit more time over Christmas, then I think definitely time to get back on. So she's, she's my older mare. She's 17 now. And then my younger mare is Darcy. 
She's five at the moment and she's quite hilarious and complete opposite to Lottie. She's only 15 hands, so she's a little and she's quite fine build. I mean, they look like Laurel and Hardy. They really are very, very different. And they're different personalities. Darcy's a proper princess. I mean, she does not like mud, which unfortunately, I'm afraid, where I live, <laughs> you've got to like mud or just lump it. You've got to have lump. But she, she is so funny. She's, she's fantastic. So having lots of lessons on her, bringing her on. But she, she's really good. She is really, really good. She's got a very quick mind. So if you want to do nice circles, for a session where you're just having a little poodle around the school, don't do lots and lots of circles because she'll work it out and then she'll work out how not to do a circle <laughs> just for her own entertainment, really. But she's fabulous and she's the one with the old head. She She's the sensible one. She's the one that would never think about, like when they come in with the five horses where I am and they're all in the field together and we bring them in at night and Every other horse wants to come in first, apart from Darcy. Darcy just hangs back and says, well, come on, we're all getting there eventually, aren't we? So, you know, I'll just hang back. And you lot can all scuffle about and, you know, have a, have a bit of a bargey and all that. But yeah. Because she's a wise head on her shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. fabulous. She's fabulous. So... Have you got any plans with Darcy? Is there something particular that you're, you're wanting to do with her? I'd love to do some jumping with her. So her dad was an eventer. So I'm hoping that she's picked up jumping jeans. I haven't done any with her yet. We're still doing lots of flat work and just getting her more balanced. And she's quite one-sided. So just trying to get her so that she is a little bit more balanced on both sides. And her muscles are attuned both sides so at the moment we're just having lots of fun we go out for hacks we do stuff in the school but yeah hopefully next year we'll get her jumping and that that'll be a lot of fun I think as you were talking so she might have other ideas Tracy oh, okay <laughs> no I'm sure I'm sure that was part of it but she showed me almost like the show horses but not like dressage but almost like the I'm trying to think what horses they are where they really lift their legs up and she's really striding and she's just shown me maybe it's because she called her a princess but <laughs> she's shown me that she can move really well and she's got nimble nimble legs as she says she's got nimble legs and um, there's a lightness so if she hasn't got that now there's a lightness so she can um, move across the ground but it's almost like her feet are hovering on the ground when she's doing this particular move. Is that a PF? I'm not really on dressage, so I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so as you were talking, she was showing me that. <laughs> she might have ideas as well as you. I <laughs> <laughs> will we'll see. Her mum was, was a show horse. So ah. maybe she leans more towards her mum than her dad. And <laughs> ah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, if she, she does have other ideas, then I'll have to go back to the drawing board. But that's that's okay too. She might do both. <laughs> so what have you got planned for the future regarding work? What have you got coming up? Uh, have you got any new ventures that you're progressing into? So in January, I start doing practitioner training. I've moved it. Practitioner training has always been tra traditionally a block of time, a block of four, five, six days, whatever the trainer wanted. And I've changed it to Monday afternoons. 
because I found that people wanted to learn it that way, have a week in between the sessions so they could go away and have a go or go away and think about it, learn it, let it settle in, digest it. So that starts in January. That's uh, January the 10th that we start practitioner training. And I've also got, I've written a course, a business mindset course, which will be online. It's not necessarily equestrian. It's more aimed to people who've got small businesses and need to get rid of things like imposter syndrome and self-sabotage and those feelings of overwhelm. All those small business little niggles that would be really helpful to get rid of. So that will be online and that's going out in January as well. So January will be really busy. So that's something, a little bit of a different direction for me, but I really enjoyed writing it. It's been, it'd been loads of fun to write it. And as I've been writing it, I've been thinking, well, this is one that I need to do as well. (laughs) That's out in January. So if you need any help or guidance, Tracy, who do you go to? Do you go to your mentors? If you're looking for something like your clients do, do you tend to go back to your mentors? Somebody asked me this morning, you know, if you're this mindset coach and mindset trainer and all the rest, do you get the doubts, the nerves? Do do you still get all of those little or big negative feelings? And I said, well, of course you do. You know, life is very, very unpredictable at times or doesn't go the way that you thought it would go. I said, but what it gives you is a little bit more resilience and you can bounce back a little bit more quickly. So if I do have something because life happens, I tend to use the techniques on myself. So I sort of coach myself. I think to myself, well, come on, what is needed here? What's really underneath all of this? And I, I give myself a little pep talk and then I, I do some of the techniques with myself. So yeah, that works. That seems to work for me anyway. I can truly believe that looking at you, Tracy. <laughs> you just come across, maybe it wasn't always this way, but you, you come across confident in yourself. You said something earlier, imposter, imposter syndrome. So I had that when I first used to do communication because I'm self-taught and, and I, I used to go out and practice on friends of friends' horses. And when I started to go out and started to charge, I found that really, really hard. Taking money was a block that I had to clear, which NLP and timeline therapy helped with that and, and working on myself. So it's not the way it used to be by any means, but you still have to keep a check on it because it sneaks back in sometimes. But I found that really, really hard. And then I also found it hard because I used to say, who'd want to listen to me? What right have I got to say, this is what I do? And especially on Facebook, people would be asking, oh, do you know of an animal communicator? And all these names will pop up. And one person is well-known, they know about horses, they're a lovely person. But I used to think, oh God, please don't contact me. Don't put my name on. And I would continue to have this. And because I was focused on that, this name would always pop up because for me, I believe what shows you, you get more of because it's it's telling you something. And it took a, quite a while for that to go. And a friend who knows me and knows another the other person, she used to say, you're just as good. You're, you're different. 
you bring something else that person is is good too but they bring their skill you bring yours so she was really good to help boost my confidence and help me work on myself as well I don't do that now but it's lovely when somebody asks him and my name comes up and I don't comment because I believe the person will go to who they're drawn to so I don't sort of jump in but it, I, I do notice it and I, I every now and then I'll put something on Facebook saying thank you for the recommendations I do see. I'm very, very grateful, but I don't comment because it's up to that person. And if they want something, they will go and look as I do. If I'm really interested, I will Google it. And, and now if something pops up on my phone, I don't even question it now. I know that's that's linked into me because it's shown me that I don't have to go through lots of things. That was the first thing. So I'm trusting that's the right one. So the imposter syndrome, when you said that, I thought yeah, I had that big time, which I think a lot of people do. Oh, yeah, especially at the start, because like yeah. you say, what whatever area you're going into, there'll be somebody who's well known in yeah. that area. And and you feel really tiny compared to this. They're almost famous, aren't they, these people? They're certainly famous in, in that circle. And, and there's little old you. You compare and you shouldn't yeah, because you're not the same. It's different. It's not better or it's not more or less. It's just, it's different. And people will go to who they're attracted to, who they're drawn to. And and that's a big thing. Um, there can be five people that do something, can be... Uh, five of you in a row but the person will go to whoever you feel connected and there's that invisible connection because you're the one that's going to help him your energy is going to to mix with theirs uh, and that's how I look at it I don't see it as a negative if they don't come to me they've got the right person the same as you can have a conversation with a stranger over a coffee or, or at a bus stop and they may have, get into a conversation with you and you'll walk away and you'll feel better and that energy of that person and you, there's just something changed. And it's about the unseen stuff sometimes because we tend to get hooked on what we visually see. Not so much now. I think that's changing a lot because people are, are um, opening up to their intuition, the guidance. And like you said, the mind, we can change that. We just need to know, firstly, that we can do that because people might not be aware of that how to go about it and how to start. And it's that first step, that first little step that takes you on um, to the next part and an amazing adventure of learning about who you are, which I love. I love it as much as, as working with horses. I love having a relationship with me, which sounds a bit funny, but I, I love that. And also sometimes people can have a, an issue or something's going on with them and they can maybe see somebody like yourself or they can chat to somebody like me or some somebody completely different and then this will re-emerge later and they'll think well that didn't work and I explain it to people it did work but what happens is that was one layer and there's another yeah. layer it's not the same thing it's something completely different but it feels similar and when you explain that to people, then sometimes they think, oh, okay, okay. Because if they get into that, well, it didn't work, I'm not going to try that. It might have been that the connection maybe wasn't quite right, or they weren't quite right, or they were quite ready as much as they wanted it. Because you can say, I do want to change, but something in you says, no, you don't want to change. And that's sometimes hard to explain to people. How do you get around that? 
Yeah, I, 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 absolutely the same as you. That when when something reoccurs, very often it's almost like a spiral. I think of it like so we're going through life, kind of learning more and more and spiraling around. So when you first encounter that problem, you, you're on a lower rung, if you like. But then when it comes back, you you don't realise, or you, you it's outside of your awareness that actually you, you've done a lot of work on yourself and you've changed, and the circumstances are different. Exactly what you said, it feels the same, but it's not because you're at a new level. So you're experiencing it again, but you've actually kind of gone up a level. So when they're saying that it hasn't worked and and you said it might just be the timing was wrong or the connection wasn't there or there was some reason why they didn't, for whatever reason, lose that emotional baggage or whatever they were trying to clear. It, It can be a timing thing. And sometimes people hold on to their problems and they can do this, but not on purpose. It's not conscious at all. It's it's outside of of their conscious awareness. But holding on to the problem because there's a reason behind it, a more benefit for them to hold on to that problem at that time. And it, it can be very. I mean, we're talking quite kind of woo woo, kind of higher level stuff at the moment. But it could be something very very down to earth that there could be that they that almost get something out of having the problem. So whether that's a protection, a safety, you know, if I have this problem in my riding, so it stops me from getting on or stops me from doing what I think I should be doing, then I'm protected from it. I I don't have to do it because I'm, I'm scared and it makes me feel bad. So I'll step back and I won't do it. So this might just be that kind of advantage. I mean, we all know the person on the livery yard wears these problems like a badge of honour and, and they're doing the same thing in some ways. They're getting the attention from their problem. So very often when, when I chat to people, if I recognise that in them, and it's very delicate to say, you're holding on to the problem yeah. or your mind is, I sometimes depersonalise and say, you know, your mind is holding on to the problem. Because there's some benefit of holding on to it at this time. Let's let's try and find out what that is. Find out whether that is a protection thing or or something else. What are you gaining from having the problem? And sometimes it's people are just so busy in their lives that they've they've got their home life, they've got families. They've got things going on at work. They've got this, that, and the other, and it's all very, very buzzy. So the riding has to go on the back burner for a little bit. So having that problem is kind of an advantage because then they haven't also got to think about getting on the horse and riding the horse and schooling the horse and getting the horse competition ready and all the rest of it. It's just sort of like, oh, you know, that's one less thing off my list. So... Sometimes it's a chat about, can you see the advantage that your mind, and in a very clumsy way sometimes, is keeping you nervous or keeping you away from your riding Mm. and and just try and work through that a little bit. Sometimes it can be, um, I'm going back to me because I can only give my own experience. So for me, the block not getting on, on twos was about moving forward 
I was wanting so desperately to move forward in my life. But at the same time, if I moved forward, then I'd have to change. Things would have to change. And where would the finances come? What would I do? I mean, I'm lucky in the, in the respect that I'm on my own. So whatever decisions I make, if it goes that way or that way, it's down to me. I mean, it's always down to our own responsibility anyway, but it's not going to have a huge effect on anybody else. As long as Toots has what she needs, I would always say it doesn't matter that I go without. But now I change that because actually, yeah, it does matter. But that was my motto in the past. So that kept me there. It doesn't matter that I do without. So I did go without, as a lot of people do. So for me, it was moving forward. And it's funny. I mean, she's quite often uh, lame. Lame is a funny word. I mean, it's that long or it's that long. There's no such thing as perfection the whole time. Yeah. There just isn't. But she would show me in her feet if I was really not pushing forward and I needed to push forward. And I'd be focusing on her and it's me. So yes, she would be lame, but it would usually the time when I needed to step into myself and take a step and stop hiding behind things. And that was quite, that was quite hard at times because of the fear of lack of money, lack of this, lack of that, lack. So doing a lot of work on myself with the help of some good friends and really sort of, uh, really spending time looking at things. And then when things did change, that gave me the, it does work. It does work. Yeah, that was something that had lots of different layers, but it also was about protection. If I fell off, how would it earn money to work? Who look after me? Who look after my horse? I mean, I've walked to my horse. It's taken me three hours to get there when I've had no car because I need to get to her. And my friends would pick me up. Yeah, I've walked three hours to get to my horse because... She was not going to be left. I needed to get there. So like you say, it's always them that's more important and they are very, very important. But we need to look after ourselves because we need to be okay so we can support and help them and have a freer life emotionally. Even if you don't ride your horses, it's about having that freedom to know you can change things. I think you're entirely right. That protection, if you like, and if if you'd have gone out and ridden and and all this face your fear stuff, which I don't like at all, then you would have been unhappy. But you also, like you say, you would have incurred lots and lots of costs because you probably would have wanted to do this and do that, and maybe you needed more tack, and maybe you know some of the boots and bandages and goodness knows what of of worn out you need more of that so in some ways it was very sensible of your mind wasn't it to bring that on best of intentions perhaps not what you would want this is why I sometimes say the subconscious the unconscious is quite clumsy in the way it delivers these things to us but there is a reason behind it all isn't there and yeah usually something that we can learn from and learn quite a substantial amount from as well and you often find that the thought of something, when you actually do it, it's not the same as, as you expected. I'm not talking about if you've got a dangerous horse, if a horse rears and you've not looked into it, then you decide to get on it. That's a different thing altogether. But if you've done all the preparation and you know that your horse is okay, the tack's okay, you know, everything's fine and it's down to you, taking that that 
step, when you do, it's like, oh my God. And it can be the tiniest thing, the tiniest thing. And, and you can be so excited and, and almost like you've won the lottery and you're telling other people and they're like, yeah, yeah. But it's your excitement because it's your obstacle that you've climbed. It's your Mount Everest. And it means that much because you've done it. And that's such a lovely feeling. And if we could harness that and remember that, remember that feeling the next time we have doubts and, and as you say, visualize that, bring that feeling with you, which is what I work with now. I have to feel it. So if I'm thinking about my future, if I'm thinking about something, the visualization is lovely, but without the feeling it as if you're actually there, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same, it's like watching a movie. The difference with the feel is you're in the movie. And that's what you're aiming for, to be in that movie, not just see it, feel it, and you're there. And when things happen, it's, it's yeah, it's just lovely. It's just lovely. <laughs> it is, and it's like you say, it, it doesn't have to be that you're winning a championship or, you know, you're doing something very high level. Sometimes it is. You've got on today, you know, or your horse stood still. You taught your horse to stand still. And today was the day that your horse stood still and you got on and everything was nice and calm. It can be the tiniest thing. It can be leading your horse back to the field because the horse is usually very agitated for whatever reason. It could be doing a bit of groundwork and you're teaching your horse to turn on the forehand or something. And, and, the horse is unsure what you mean and you, you're not quite sure if you're giving the right signals. And, and then it comes, you get a couple of steps that look beautiful. So I think it doesn't matter how you measure success, but those successes, are, are they're wonderful, aren't they? They're absolutely wonderful. And you do feel like you've won the lottery. In fact, it's better than that. It's, it's priceless, isn't it? Do you give your clients exercises to do? So for anybody that's going to be listening, that's watching this or listening later, is there any little exercises that they could do to help them? Something that you'd like to share? One, one of the easiest things that you can do is, is using peripheral vision. So what you do is you stare at a spot that's just above eye line. You stare at it and, and you're blinking normally and naturally and you're just very comfortable and you're just looking at this spot and taking in lots of information. This is just to give you an idea of the focused vision when you're really, really focused and honed in on a spot. And then you just relax your vision and you widen it and you widen it again and you keep going wider and wider. You're still looking at the spot and blinking very naturally but the spot's becoming a bit more defocused because you're extending your vision outwards and outwards and outwards and outwards. And that then gives you that full impression that you're in that peripheral vision. And if you can stretch your arms out, if you can stretch your arms out either side and you can sort of waft your fingers a little bit, then you're in that lovely wide vision. Then... If you practice doing that so you can get into wide vision, if you practice when you're doing, you know, chores around the house or washing up or looking out or anything, walking along so that you can instantly go into peripheral vision and then try it 
on the horse. Try it just in halt, just when you get on for a few moments. And try it just walking around the arena or if you're going down the lane on a hat. And at first, you might only be able to go 10 meters, 10 yards, and then you're out of it. And then try and get back into it again. And what it does, you there's a, a really, really strange wiring of the brain that you can't be in any kind of negative state. You can't think negative thoughts when you've got peripheral vision. So you'll notice if if you do get nervous or anxious or you have doubts or any other negative, your vision's probably going to be a little bit more narrow. Might not be fully narrow. When you get riders that stare at the horse's neck, and they're nervous, they're in that very focused vision, which allows you to be as negative as you want. But if you can extend your vision out to peripheral, you can't hold those negative thoughts and negative emotions. So it's really nice to ride in because it is a bit daydreamy. It is the kind of like vision when you're in a daydream. So it softens everything. And so the horse obviously responds to this because you're completely different. Your body physically starts to relax and your mind is starting to relax. But you're very alert to what's going on around you. It isn't that you are in this daydream. You know what's happening around you. So if you are going out down the lanes, you can see the pheasant that's about to jump out, but you're relaxed. So rather than being on high alert thinking, oh my goodness, when is that pheasant going to jump out? And has my horse seen it? And is it going to squawk and all the rest? You know about it, but you're relaxed about it. Like it jumps out, it jumps out. I'm okay. I'll be fine. <laughs> it's a really nice way to ride. It just takes that practice because we're not used to spending extended time in peripheral vision, but it, it's, it is a lovely thing to do. And you can be, you could be doing your dressage. You can do flat work, you can do jumping, any style of riding. It's nice to be in that peripheral vision. It's just something to practice. If you look at a horse when they're in a relaxed state, if somebody's um, training them or teaching them something and, and they've got that connection and they've been working and the horse is focusing. And, and it's funny, when I'm talking to a client, this is how I talk sometimes, that same sense, because I'm looking at you, but my senses are there and that's what's coming in so it's similar but I quite often for other reasons gaze longingly at something <laughs> and sometimes it is a daydream actually but hey ho that doesn't matter I'm not riding a horse or driving at the time so that's okay it is lovely but it's something you practice at but I do it intuitively and instantly now because that's how my mind works when I'm connecting with with horses and people it's been lovely chatting with you tracy really really lovely and it's so interesting but it isn't just about horses is it so the work that you do doesn't just affect the the person and the horse relationship it has a bigger impact on people that they're with get impact on their work their friendships the relationships it it's not just one dynamics that it affects yeah we do put an immense amount of energy on this riding, don't we, and our horses. But like you say, sometimes people have come for sessions for horse riding and have, have 
mailed me later on and, and, and said, well, this has changed how I've gone into a meeting at work. And it's had all these spin-offs that, oh, well, I was able to go into the meeting and I was confident and I was using the techniques that you'd mentioned. And, and I love it when it happens like that because it does have all these little ramifications. It's like this ripple effect. The, the techniques specific for equestrians, they're tailored a little bit, that you could go and then take them and use them in different parts of your life. So you can use them at work, you can use them in relationships or home life. And it very often that people do that. But also, like you say, if you have a session, sometimes something clicks in other parts of your life as well. Even though you have come to clear up a riding problem, that it just has this little knock-on effect with something else that just is a really lovely byproduct, really. I think people are quite surprised by that. They'll say, well, I'm a student and I've been able to study better, but how did that happen? Because I came to you about hacking down the lane. <laughs> so it's very nice that the, all these associations get made and you can sort out quite a lot using the NLP and using the sessions. It is really nice to see people getting on. And, and I suppose it's, it's good value for money then, isn't it? Definitely. So it's been really, really nice chatting with you. And it's great to, to get to know a little bit about the person behind the NLP. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to chat about or anything you'd like to mention before you go? I mentioned my new training and mm -hmm. new mindset course for business. And those are the big things that are happening great. in January. If anyone's got any questions, they could always contact me through you. I'll put your details so they can go straight to your page. Yeah. And I'll also, I'll put it on the podcast as well. So anybody listening, they can find out where to find you through the internet or Facebook. Thank you very, very much for coming on, Tracy. It's been a, an absolute joy and a privilege to have you on. So much for inviting me. It's been nice chatting to you because we've not had an extended chat like this. No, no. So for people that don't know Tracy or myself, we met through Facebook, really. I don't even know how it started. I think probably commenting on some of your posts, but I've always felt there's been a, a, a mutual support and it's been lovely and it's behind the scenes and it's sort of grown so it's really really nice sometimes you meet people and you don't have to meet them in person but it's about connections and regardless of what happens there's an affinity and as we've talked I can understand why now because there's more similarities than I, I probably realized before which which is lovely which is probably similar to lots of um, areas of work especially with horses it crosses over lots of things cross over if you'd like to say bye to the viewers thanks ever so much for listening and watching and take care have a lovely christmas <laughs> thank you tracy so if you want to to message tracy you can do that through uh, this post or you can go direct to tracy i'll attach the website i think i have already but i'll do it again just to make sure it was a real pleasure having on and she's a lovely lady and she just oozes confidence and calmness, which is what you want at the end of the day. Any questions, please feel free to ask myself or Tracy and I'll make sure they get to the right destination. Take care. Thank you. And bye for now. Bye. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.